Well, it's good to, to see you all here tonight. It's a little different, I know. I'm over here in the corner, not on the platform. But uh, that's because uh, the focus needs to be on the presentation, as obviously we are here tonight, um, uh, celebrating uh, the Lord's victory uh, through the cross of Calvary that translates into our lives uh, as uh, the recipients and receiving all the benefits of, of what Christ accomplished on Calvary's cross. We are blessed here tonight. We are a blessed people to know that what Jesus did paid the price. Think about that. For our sin, for our iniquity, for our ugliness, for our shortcomings, it was nailed to the cross, uh, and Jesus, through the shedding of blood, uh, took care of all that, that now, by grace, here we are. Don't you thank God for His grace, His goodness, His mercy tonight? We should never forget that. Every single day, when we open our eyes, we should say, thank you, Jesus, for this life you've given to me to worship and to praise you. And so what I want to do tonight is to go through some of the things that most all of us here already have read about, know about, have seen uh, through different movie depictions uh, concerning uh, the last days of Jesus Christ. But I thought it would be good for us to come together so we could rehearse it. Then afterwards, we're going to share the communion supper. So what I want to look at this evening uh, is what the Lord went through during the last uh, three days of his life. The last three days of his life would be the three days that changed uh, the world. And that's what I entitled this sermon, Three Days That Changed uh, the World, That Changed Our Lives that transformed us, what he did uh, uh, going through Calvary, the ordeal, the suffering, the rejection, the pain and the torment that he experienced for you and uh, for me. So we're going to take a look at the upper room, and this is where it all began as he's preparing for the uh, Passover meal. And he speaks to the disciples, uh, and uh, he begins to uh, predict the one who is going to betray him. And so as we look in, our, in, in the Word of God, in the book of Matthew chapter 26, and starting with verse 20, the Passover meal is being prepared. They're getting ready to, uh, to celebrate Jesus with the disciples. And it says this in verse 20. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after another, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, the one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. And Jesus answered, you 
have said so. And so here the stage is set. The betrayal is, is, is getting ready to begin as we know that uh, after the Passover meal here that we read about, Judas uh, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And so the disciples are making their way to the Mount of Olives in the northern, northeastern part of the city near and into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus knew that his time was short his death was near. And we know the story, how he went and told the disciples uh, to pray, to watch with him, and uh, to pray that uh, he was going off into an area and seek uh, the Father. And it was here that Jesus uh, was agonizing in prayer over what was about to occur he was uh, agonizing, and uh, in Luke uh, chapter 22 and verse 44, it says, and being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And we know that uh, when he was agonizing, uh, he was crying out to God, just like some of us when there's a need in our life uh, and it, it, there's something that, that, that especially we cry out to God about, there's like an agonizing that takes place. I have the video clip of that uh, as we prepare, just to kind of give you an idea of what was taking place. Do you really believe that one man can bear the full burden of sin. Please shelter me, my lord. My trust is in you. Be my... my refuge. No man. This weight alone, it is far too heavy. Saving men's souls is too costly. No one ever. No. Not ever. Oh, Father. You can do all things. Let this... Shall go from me, and let your will be done. Let your will be done, not mine. The Greek word for agony means to be engaged in combat. Jesus was in a spiritual combat with the devil, the enemy of our souls, uh, to redeem the souls of mankind. And this is what prayer is all about, that when we pray, it's not something we do ritualistically, but there's a battle taking place, a combat that we're engaged with uh, against the enemy of our soul who wants to hold back uh, the blessing and the provision of uh, God in our lives. 
And the sad thing is, is while Jesus was agonizing in prayer in the garden and doing a spiritual battle, the disciples slept. How important it is for you and I to never forget the power of prayer as we seek the face of God. And from there, as Jesus prepared and sought the face of God and he spoke to the disciples and said, now the time has come for the Son of Man to be betrayed. The betrayal, we know, took place there at the garden where Peter spoke and said uh, to the soldiers, the one uh, that I kiss is uh, the one. And it's in the garden where after that betrayal took place that the disciples, all the disciples separated and went from Jesus and, be, and forgot about the promises and the word that Jesus spoke to them as he walked with them those three years of ministry. Jesus was taken captive, and he wasn't surprised by what was taking place because it was prophesied earlier by the prophets in Matthew chapter 26 and in verse 56. The word of God says, but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. The sad thing is, is that when things the disciples probably thought that Jesus, as, as we know as he spoke to them, was going to restore the kingdom, didn't happen the way they envisioned it. It didn't happen the way they wanted it to happen, and they deserted Jesus. And sometimes you and I fall into that same category as we're going through life and things may not go the way we want them to go. Too many of God's people have a tendency to walk away from Jesus and leave him when in fact we should hold on to God's word and to the promises of God. And so after this event took place in the garden, we know that Jesus was brought before the religious Sanhedrin, and he was brought to, in a place where he was being tried. And he was before the religious leaders, and he was arrested there. After they speak to him, and they question him, and they're trying to get him to acknowledge what he has said in the past, and trying to get him to say that, yes, he, I am God, he identifies himself. He endures the rejection and the ridicule of the religious people there and the leaders. And then he's blindfolded, taken away. He's beaten as he was passed in front of the palace guards. We know and we've read the story. And now the decision comes as... A A decision has to be made because the people are crying, the religious people are crying for Jesus to be crucified. And Pilate is having to make a choice as to 
whom, as on the festival of the Passover, someone is a prisoner released, and he has to make a choice, and it's the choice between Jesus or Barabbas. And early that morning, he's battered, he's bruised, dehydrated, exhausted from the night before, beaten, beaten. He's taken to the fortress, to the seat of the government, and there stands before Pontius Pilate. Pilate tried to pass the decision to the religious leaders, but in the end, he couldn't do that, and he had to make the choice and listen to the cries of the mob outside to decide between Jesus and the criminal named Barabbas. Yedirkom dikursana, achizibilkom avedrashaka. Kiam anachna nachasimbeit esuri. Vatsekayedia, baraba. choice. He made the choice, and in Mark chapter 15 and verse 15, so Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified, scourged to be beaten. And we know this was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah in chapter 50 and verse 6. Isaiah prophesied and said, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. And it says also, Isaiah prophesied that Jesus was beaten so severely that he did not look like the Son of Man. No. Gusta! Gusta! 
I stopped the video there for the sake of those who may not want to uh, see that, but we know, if you've seen the movie, the terrible beating, scourging. Now, in chapter 52 of Isaiah, as I mentioned in verse 14, Isaiah writes and says, just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man, and his form marred beyond any human likeness. And so the whip that you saw there that, uh, as that soldier was going to prepare to whip him was called a, a flagrum. It was short with several braided leather strips and attached to the leather thongs or strips were small balls of iron, sharp pieces of sheep bones which were tied at different intervals on those uh, leather strips. And as the scourging continued, the sheep bones and the metal pieces would tear into the skin and eventually cut deeper into the underlying skeletal muscles of Jesus. This resulted in the skin on the backside of Jesus being shredded into long ribbons of hanging and bleeding flesh, as well as becoming unrecognizable as a body, but a, a mass of flesh and muscle. Jesus suffered excruciating pain the definition of excruciate means to cause great agony and torment. By this time, the severe scourging and blood loss would have left Jesus in a state of pre-shock. From there, they take Jesus back and uh, they beat him some more, and uh, they prepare him to go to Calvary. But prior to that, they put the crown of thorns on him. And the crown of thorns, calling him the king of the Jews, they put a staff in his hand and place a robe across his shoulders, across the shoulders in his back that was laid open by the scourging and the beating that took place. Crown of thorns probably covers entire scalp. They have been made from branches covered with long thorns, used, could have been one to two inches long. And in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 27, it says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. And there they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. And then the half-beaten Jesus, they led to the place where he was to be crucified, called Golgotha, to where the nailing of Jesus to the cross would take place. When he finally reaches Golgotha, he's thrown down on his back on top of the cross, his arms and hands outstretched along the crossbar. And at this point, the soldier would drive the heavy square wrought iron nail and measured about seven inches long and roughly three-eighths inch in diameter into his hand. 
And you can imagine the pain and the torment that he would suffer as that took place. points of the nails would go into the nerve, causing shocks of pain to radiate through the arms. His feet, after then, was nailed to the cross, and he was lifted. You can imagine he would sag down with the weight of the nails on his, his palms and wrists. There he would be in pain, shooting along his arms and nerves being nailed through. And as he was nailed, and hanging on that cross. He would become more fatigued in his arms and would begin to cramp in all of his muscles, hanging by his arms and his chest muscles would become paralyzed and suffer the breakdown and the ability to breathe properly. As he hung there, you can imagine the torment that was taking place through those that loved him, that were watching him suffer. And then the death of Jesus. As Jesus endured the torture from approximately 9 a.m. when he was beaten and scourged to his crucifixion, which ended about three in the afternoon the same day. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 27, and verse 50, it says, And Jesus cried again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook and the rocks split.
Through Jesus' death on the cross, he took upon him the sins of the world. And he made a way for you and I to have our sins forgiven, that you and I would know that we have a Savior, um, a Savior who knows exactly what goes on in our lives. Uh, but because of uh, Jesus Christ, uh, his blood covers our, the multitude of sins. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. And on this cross of Calvary that Jesus was sacrificed upon, there he took upon himself every sin uh, of our lives uh, and accomplished victory and defeated Satan uh, that you and I might have life eternal through him who promised. Through the death of Jesus, Satan's hold on death and hell were defeated. As our heads are bowed for a few moments and our eyes are closed,